Welcome to a special replay of The Real Investment Show, pre-recorded earlier this week for rebroadcast at this time. And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. Today, we have just a ton of economic news that's coming out. Um, of course, this follows up on the hills of CPI and PPI. We'll, we'll hit on that this morning with Michael Leibowitz, kind of talk about some of the inflation that came in. Um, is it the peak of inflation? Have we just seen the peak of in inflation? We'll talk about that today because now we're going to start to do these year-over-year -year comparisons to strengthening inflation reports going back to April of last year as we get into the month of May. So, you know, it's now going to become more challenging for inflation to go higher, even though that means that prices remain the same. As we talked about before, you know, for instance, estimates for oil prices look to remain around $100 a barrel or so through the end of this year into next year. So as a consequence of that, if oil remains at $100 a barrel for a year, the inflation rate in oil prices is zero because we measure it on a year-over-year -year basis. So while there was no inflation in oil prices, the issue is, is that gas prices are still more expensive for you. So, you know, this is this is the the fun, the funny math that we're going to get into over the course of the next several months as we're talking about disinflationary trends in the economy. We're going to talk about weaker economic growth, the Fed's hiking rates to slow economic growth, which is now going to create what we call demand destruction. So they'll slow economic demand, of course, as prices begin to fall. Or sorry, as demand begins to fall. The buildup in inventories we have lead to a oversupply of goods that then have to be reduced in price to get sold. Same thing you're seeing with housing right now, right? Uh, for months and months and months, we've heard about this, this story about, oh, there's not enough supply of houses. That's why housing prices are so high, yada, yada, yada. Well, as soon as interest rates got to the point that people go, you know what? I can't afford to buy a house. All of a sudden, supply is now starting to rise. We're up to about six months of supply of houses that's probably going to be towards eight months over the course of the next uh, couple of months. And normally around eight to nine months of supply of housing is generally where you're starting to talk about a recession in the economy. So there's, you know, there's those factors that are going on that are going to be impacting consumption over the course of the next several months. And as we get into next year, this is going to start to lead to weaker economic growth lower prices, less inflation, so forth and so on. So that's why, you know, we're, we're likely close to or at the peak of inflation now. There could be a few little lingering effects at the moment, you know, uh, with oil prices, example, gas prices, et cetera, uh, food prices because of what's happening in the Ukraine. But that is going to get resolved eventually as well. So when that does, things are, are going to start to come back on. So again, no clear timeline as to how these things are going to start to work out. But we'll talk more about that this morning. Interesting news coming in this, uh, right, right at the crack of the show. Elon Musk, of course, you know, the uh, uh, famous Tesla guy, has now launched a bid to buy Twitter. Now, remember, just recently, Twitter was trading around $20 a share or so, and I, I don't have the exact number, but he, uh, he bought a 9.2% stake in Twitter. Stock was up about 16 18% over the next couple of days, so he's already making good money on his 9.2% 9, 9 stake. Now he's launched a $54.20 bid for Twitter.
to buy the whole thing. And, and the statement is, is I'll unlock the potential of Twitter. I don't doubt it, right? But it's now turned his investment into a big winner because even if he doesn't get to buy the company at $54.20, the stock is trading right around $50 a share this morning. So another big jump in Twitter up another 5% or so this morning on that news. So again, just further increasing his 10%, you know, roughly 10% stake that he's already got in the company. So, you know, as the biggest shareholder, this is obviously starting to really, uh, you know, create some interesting opportunities for Twitter. Will they, will Twitter sell to Tesla? Uh, you know, actually to Elon Musk, actually, this is a bid from him. Uh, will they sell to him? You know, who knows? Right. This is this is going to be kind of a big thing. The interesting thing, and we talked a little bit about this yesterday, is that when the announcement first came on that Elon Musk had bought a 9.2 percent stake in the company, the employees were losing their mind. In fact, they had to have they were stressed on their no stress day off that they get every month. So. <laughs> they're they're up in arms about the potential that Elon Musk could be opening up Twitter to free speech. You know, just can't have that in social media, stressing out these young millennials that uh, you know are, are so you know concerned about the spread of disinformation. It's going to be interesting to watch. Anyway, so but uh, Elon Musk this morning saying, you know what, I'm going to unlock that value of Twitter and we'll get it out there. And, you know, his, his view is that it should be free speech. That's it. So that's the whole purpose of this. We'll see what happens to see if he actually gets to buy it. But I just think it's kind of interesting news. You know, here's a guy, too, that you, this is this is the guy, Elon Musk, that Elizabeth Warren was going after for not paying taxes. And of course, he is the single person that has paid the most taxes by an individual in history. <laughs> he paid $11 billion in taxes in one year. So imagine writing that check to the IRS. Do you think he gets like a special visitor pass if he goes to the IRS? I think he's got his nameplate on a parking spot right somewhere. next to the front door. It's got to be somewhere. $11 billion. That's pretty amazing. Anyway, uh, quick update on the markets. So, you know, we've talked about over the last couple of days. Markets were very oversold. Now, you know, we're on a sell signal currently. So that still puts pressure on the markets. That doesn't, you know, we're not out of the woods just yet. Markets have gotten pretty overbought here. So it wasn't surprising that we got a sell signal along with a, a bit of a decline in the market. So the good news, as we talked about yesterday, is that the market had broken the 50-day moving average. And we said that it was important that the market got back above the 50-day moving average this week. And that happened yesterday. So that's kind of con uh, confirming the hold of support right now, right at the 50-day moving average. And this is also a, a good, a good uh, a story here about managing stop losses in your portfolio. And we actually have a video on our website and uh, our YouTube channel talking about uh, managing stop losses. And the point about this is, is that a lot of people say, well, you know, my stop loss is the 50-day moving average, the 200-day moving average, whatever it is. And as soon as the stock breaks it, they sell everything, right? The problem is, is that a lot of times these breaks can be what we call head fakes. And this is why you want to give these breaks a little bit of time to kind of work themselves out and confirm that the break is actually legitimate. So what you would want to see is a break of the 50-day moving average, a rally back to it that fails. That would confirm that now you've got a break of the 50-day. Now you execute your stops. Uh, this is the, but this is the problem with having automated stops where you kind of take the human uh, control out of it just a bit. Um, again, because you can see this where, you know, I had two days, the market stayed below the 50 day moving average. Now we're back above it. So, you know, now you're like, okay, well now I gotta be back in. I gotta go buy everything I just sold. 
this is why you want to give these things a little bit of time to confirm themselves. Now, look, we're not out of the woods just yet. Like I said, we're still on a sell signal here and a pretty important sell signal from a high level. So I still think there's risk of downside here in the short term, particularly going into the end of the month. And as we get into May and the Fed starts talking about hiking rates, but we are oversold enough here. And this is the kind of the key issue is that we could get a bit of a bounce here. It uh, doesn't mean that we're going to make new highs or get back up to previous levels, but we are kind of set up here for at least a little short-term bounce that you can use to kind of rebalance risk in your portfolio a bit. And that's, and that's just part of that portfolio management process that we continue to talk about. But again, you know, always be careful with these very tight stop losses and things like that because you can get whipsawed uh, quite quickly, uh, particularly in this type of a market. So we'll come back pick up with the inflation reports. We had CPI, PPI this week. What's it telling us? And what does that mean for the Fed? And of course, how is that going to impact the economy and the markets later this year? I'll be back with Michael Leibowitz right after the break. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. We're all impacted by the significance of the passage of time, especially when it comes to signing up for Medicare. When should you enroll? What's the best plan for you? How will the significant passage of time adversely affect your Medicare premiums? Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for our next Virtual Lunch and Learn on Medicare, avoiding pitfalls and permanent penalties. Thursday, April 21st. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com for our next free lunch and learn to avoid the pitfalls and permanent penalties of Medicare. Realinvestmentadvice.com. Anyone can sell you insurance and they'll gladly take your premium dollars. The RIA Insurance Agency can provide you with insurance solutions tailor-made for your needs and lifestyle. Because everyone's assets are different, let RIA Insurance review what you need to protect and how. We won't sell you insurance, but what you need will be a matter of policy. RIA Insurance Agency. 888-915-0780. 888-915-0780. Realinvestmentadvice.com. Click on the insurance tab. Do you know what you don't know when hiring and retaining quality employees? Compensation is more than just wages. It's personal time off. The vacation days, healthcare benefits, a 401k. Do you know what's important to them? Hi, I'm Tom Allen, RIA Advisors Retirement Plan Consultant. Let us show you how to make the most of an affordable, effective package that will deliver true value for your business and your employees. Call me toll free at 855-RIA-PLAN or online at realinvestmentadvice.com. And now, another page from the Real Investment Advisors Investing Manifesto. Bulls win in bull markets. Bears win in bear markets. Eagles soar above and take advantage of opportunity. Let us help you soar as you reach your financial goals with RIA Advisors. Neither bull nor bear. RIA Advisors, 281-501-1791 or online at realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. Welcome to a special replay of The Real Investment Show, pre-recorded earlier this week for rebroadcast at this time. Headline this morning right now on CNBC. Inflation hits 40-year high. So, sounds pretty scary, right? I mean, we're 40-year highs on inflation, though, you know, and this is, uh, you know, now got people fearful that, you know, the dollar is going away. We're you know, going back into the uh, cave stone age now and, you know, bringing back flashes of memories of, of, of the, you know, high prices in the 70s where we all had gas lines and, 
people are putting propane tanks in the back of pickup trucks. <laughs> you, you name it, right? Um, not going to happen. Um, for a variety of very different reasons, this economy today is not the economy of the 1970s. Very different backdrops that will that will in, impede that from happening. But again, you know, not surprising, of course, with the inflation prints we saw this week, CPI up to 8.6 percent, and PPI up fairly sharply yesterday as input costs into companies are continuing to increase. You know, one of the things that you know, we look at it on a fairly regular basis is the differentials between the PPI, the producer price index, and the CPI index. And that spread is one of the largest on records. And what that means is, is that producers aren't able to pass on the entirety of the increases to consumers. They're having to bottle some of that up. So, you know, that's, it doesn't mean they're not passing some of it on because obviously you're paying higher food prices, gas prices, everything else but not all of it is able to be passed on. So that's going to impact corporate profit margins later this year, could see weaker earnings. And in fact, if you take a look at the earnings between different sectors, there's basically negative revisions in earnings in about every sector. And if it wasn't for the massive increase in, in earnings expectations for the energy sector, you know, we would have much different view of what earnings look like overall because there's such a large increase in earnings expectations for energy companies. It's really masking the downgrade in earnings estimates for all the other sectors. And and, and so this is something that we're going to have to pay attention to. You know, not everything, you know, is represented by the S&P 500. In other words, you know, we've talked about this earlier this year is that if you take a look at the S&P, you know, it's down about, you know, four, five, six, seven percent for the year. Underneath the surface, it's a very different story as to what's going on with a lot with the with the bottom 490 companies is a very different story of what's happening with the top 10. Anyway, to talk a little bit about inflation this morning, uh, of course, and what does this mean for the Fed? Now, the Fed is on deck to hike rates at their next meeting in May. Michael Lee, which joins us this morning. Mike, how are you? Good, good. Thank you for having me on. Yeah. So what was your takeaway from uh, CPI, PPI this week? Uh, good news, bad news. So the headline numbers, so the numbers that make the front page of your local paper were high. You know, I mean, they're just, they're kind of shocking. If we would have been talking about these numbers a year ago, we'd say, no way. We're not going to run eight, what, 8.6% inflation. But when you dive into the numbers, there is a little bit of hope that we're starting to peak. So one of the numbers the Fed likes the most is what they call core CPI. Core takes out all the things that me and you consume every day. It's no food, no energy. So they basically take out the food and energy, which are probably the two things that we spend money on every day. And core CPI was only up 0.2 tenths of a percent for the month of March. So if you annualize that, you're running at you know two and a half percent inflation. And that was down from 0.5 the prior month, which is, you know, roughly 6% inflation. So there is some sign that we are seeing a little bit of a retreat in prices. Then PPI came out yesterday, and that was much higher than expected for both the core number, the headline number, all aspects of it. Right. And that, and so, it kind, of, and that kind of goes back to my point. If, if PPI is hot and CPI is starting to maybe show some signs of peaking, whatever, um, you know, that kind of goes back to that point again, is that that producers are having to eat a lot of that inflation. Well, that's I think that's the question that we're going to have to see answered over the next few months. 
can they pass that on? Did did PPI rise, and now will we see CPI rise as the as the people selling products to consumers raise their prices, or is this gap between PPI and CPI gonna gonna exist? Which is basically so it's basically will the consumer pay for it, or will the retailers pay for it? Right, and that has yet to be answered. But my guess is that consumers are starting to feel the pinch. Mm-hmm. We've seen revolving credit, credit card debt jump. It's up uh, roughly 14% over the last 12 months. That compares to about 4 or 5% from what we're used to pre-pandemic. Mm-hmm. So it's clear that consumers are buying less as far as volume because they have to spend more to get less and they're using credit card debt. And until a couple months ago, they were refinancing their houses mm-hmm. to do that. But that that ship has sailed. So now it's really credit card debt. And if we see, keep seeing credit card debt exploding higher, that's just another signal to us that consumers are in trouble and that they are using their credit cards as a form of wages. Well, and again, that's, you know, that's kind of what you would expect to see uh, to some degree anyway, because you know, we, we run a, uh, a chart and I've actually got it coming out in a report here in the next uh, couple of days is the we go back to 19 the 1970s and we look at the cost of the median cost of living back in the 1970s and we inflation adjust that median cost of living to present and look at the differential between disposable personal incomes savings rates and credit card debt and what it takes to sustain that standard of living what's interesting is and you can all you can see the exact break Starting in late 1990, early 2000, the amount of disposable personal income and savings was declining to the point that it was beginning to really require some additional debt just to maintain that that kind of median standard of living. And then very interestingly, at 2008, when we had the financial crisis and everything kind of shut down at that point, that's where it immediately fell off the cliff. And now there's about a $16,000 a year gap that people are having to fill through, you know, credit card debt and, and other forms of, of support just to maintain that standard of living. So, you know, it, it's interesting that, you know, this continues to degrade itself. A lot of it's because of, you know, in 2008, we started really accelerating the level of debt that we were taking on, student loan debt, housing debt. You know all those type of all those other types of debt structures, and the consumers just getting further and further behind the curve on being able to support their standard of living. So not surprising here with prices going up, they're really having to go back into credit card debt to try to make that ends meet. But you know those prices are now going up. The cost of servicing that debt is going up. That's taking away more of the disposable income, and there's a limit to their credit cards. I mean, you know they're going to run out of additional. You know, once you max out your credit cards, that's pretty much it and then the question is then that's where really consumption takes a hit because now there's no alternative and to that point coming out in today's commentary in exactly one hour uh, one hour five (laughs) minutes we actually show a chart of real wages Mm -hmm. and they're down i think it's what 3.8 percent for the year so that means that even though you may have gotten a five percent raise you can buy actually buy less with your money by about 3.8 percent than you could a year ago so it's not really you got a raise. You actually got a pay cut by three and a half percent. So the question is, what are you not going to buy or are you going to take on credit card debt? Now, as you were talking about credit card debt, I was thinking about something interesting. A few years ago, pre-pandemic, 2018, 2019, 
I have, first of all, I have really good credit. I've made all my, I pay my credit card every month. I pay it in full. I don't have any late fees. I, I you know, I, I'm kind of what the credit card, actually, I, I'm what the credit card companies don't want, yeah. but I, but I pay it. There's not really a credit risk as far as they can see from my record. Uh, and one of my credit card companies cut my limit in half. Mm -hmm. And I called up and it, it was still a good enough number and I have a couple cards, so it didn't, it didn't bother me, but I called up and I said, why did you cut my credit card number? And they said, we're cutting them across the board. This was Capital One. This is a big credit card company. Mm -hmm. So prior to the pandemic, prior to even that economic weakness before the pandemic, credit card companies had pulled back and we had read other reports of other big banks doing the same thing. They were trying to reduce their risk. So now as we go into this, people are starting to pile up debt on their credit cards. Even though they're getting raises, even though they have jobs, they're not keeping up with inflation. And like you said, Lance, they're gonna, some people are going to start hitting their maxes, and then they have no choice but to reduce their spending. And I right. think we're starting to get to the point in that cycle that we're going to start seeing that over the next six months. And today we get uh, retail sales data in about an hour. Now, the number could be really good, but what we have to be careful about is how much of that is volume and how much is inflation. Right. So if it's up 5% for the year, that's not that good because inflation's running, what, 8.5%, 8 8.6%. Let me explain that real quick just so that people you know, kind of understand what you're saying here because this is a really, really important point when it comes to retail sales. We measure retail sales in dollar transactions. So Mike goes to the store and he spends $20. We measure that purchase of, of food as a $20 purchase. Now, you know, the, and the best way to really kind of measure this is, is you, it's hard to tell when Mike goes to the store to, to shop, he may buy a few extra things this time that he didn't buy last time. But when it comes to filling up your gas tank, and this is, we always use this example to talk about retail sales, because when you fill up your gas tank, there's only so many gallons in the gas tank, right? Um, it only holds so much. So pretty much you fill up the same amount, roughly, give or take, every single time. And uh, so when the retail store that sells you the gasoline reports their sales of gasoline, they report it in dollar volume. Uh, and, and dollars. So we so, so Mike spent thirty dollars a week you know, on gas. You know, six months ago, he's now spending forty dollars a week on gas today because of inflation. He's spending ten dollars more in gas, but he's not buying any more gas. But retail sales went up because he's now spending forty dollars for the same amount of gas he was buying. You know, six months ago. That's the problem with retail sales is that we measure it in dollar transactions. We don't measure it in volume sold. So to Mike's point, it's a very and it's a very important point. If the rate of retail sales is not keeping up with the rate of inflation, retail sales are actually weaker. And that's the important thing to take away from this. We'll come back. We'll pick up on this. A lot more to get into this morning about where we are. And more importantly, the problem the Fed is about to run into. Don't go away. Be right back on the show with Michael Leibowitz right here on The Real Investment Show. Stay tuned for more of this special edition of The Real Investment Show, pre-recorded earlier this week. 
The Real Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. We're all impacted by the significance of the passage of time, especially when it comes to signing up for Medicare. When should you enroll? What's the best plan for you? How will the significant passage of time adversely affect your Medicare premiums? Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for our next virtual lunch and learn on Medicare, avoiding pitfalls and permanent penalties. Thursday, April 21st. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com for our next free lunch and learn to avoid the pitfalls and permanent penalties of Medicare. realinvestmentadvice.com Anyone can sell you insurance and they'll gladly take your premium dollars. The RIA Insurance Agency can provide you with insurance solutions tailor-made for your needs and lifestyle. Because everyone's assets are different, let RIA Insurance review what you need to protect and how. We won't sell you insurance, but what you need will be a matter of policy. RIA Insurance Agency. 888-915-0780. 888-915-0780. Realinvestmentadvice.com. Click on the insurance tab. And now, another page from the Real Investment Advisors Investing Manifesto. A passive investment portfolio requires active risk management. It's not a choice, it's necessity. Diversification doesn't protect against risk of loss. Let us actively help you reach your financial goals with RIA Advisors. Neither bull nor bear. RIA Advisors, 281-501-1791 or online at realinvestmentadvice.com. Can't catch the whole show now? Listen to our podcast later at realinvestmentadvice.com. Elon Musk recently took a large shareholder position in Twitter. He made some comments that Twitter should be the town square where everybody can freely have their opinions heard without censorship, etc. The Real Investment Show podcast. Same show, your schedule. The staff at Twitter are apparently so triggered they were even stressed on their monthly day off for a day of rest. At realinvestmentadvice.com. It's called the weekend, folks. Small businesses are discovering that attracting and retaining top talent come down to more than just salary. In today's highly competitive job market, compensation is more than just wages. Hi, I'm Tom Allen, RIA Advisors Retirement Plan Consultant. Healthcare and retirement plans can make the difference in hiring and retaining the best employees. We can show you how to build an affordable, effective employment package that delivers true value for your workers and your business. Call me toll-free at 855-RIA-PLAN or online at realinvestmentadvice.com. Real Investment Show podcasts are now available from Stitcher Smart Radio at stitcher.com. Hi, Lance Roberts here. If you're like most people, your 401k plan represents the bulk of your retirement assets. And unfortunately for many, managing your 401k plan can be difficult. There's so many choices, so many things to consider. With just a quick email, a couple of questions, you can put RIA advisors to work for you managing your 401k plan. It's a quick and easy application. Just simply click ask a question at realinvestmentadvice.com or give us a call at 855-RIA-PLAN. That's realinvestmentadvice.com. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com for our next free lunch and learn to avoid the pitfalls and permanent penalties of Medicare with Ratliff and Rosso. Thursday, April 21st. When should you enroll? What's the best plan for you? How will the significant passage of time adversely affect your Medicare premium? Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. I'm Rose Lance Roberts. Michael Leibowitz joining me, of course. And we're talking a little bit about inflation, the Fed. 
I want to show you this chart here real quick of the the consumer spending gap that Mike and I were talking about in the last segment. And this is this is the the chart that you know I'm, I'm speaking of in particular because you know here let me make this a little bigger. Um, you know what this is showing you is this kind of standard of living that people have been you know, working with now for quite some time. And, and going all the way back to the 1960s, you know, there was plenty of, of headroom uh, and the cost of living between where it is and what the ability of people to, to, to live on is. And they weren't having to tap on debt. And this is the, the key point about this is back in the 70s, you know, there wasn't a lot of household debt, and, and Michael remember this as well. Our parents didn't have credit cards to a large degree. They just weren't a thing. And, you know, most people, they lived in a fairly moderate house, you know, three bedrooms, one and a half bath at most, right? Um, it, there just wasn't this big need of excess that, you know, we kind of have today for individuals. And, and so over the course of time, as we, uh, you know, uh, deregulated the financial industry and uh, and banks figured out they could give everybody and their dog a credit card and they could make a whole lot more money. And then, of course, advertisers said, hey, guess what? Everybody's got credit cards. Let's really sell them some stuff. We shifted the whole economy from a manufacturing conservative base to this service-based industry that takes on a tremendous amount of debt to, to make a or to live a lifestyle that really exceeds the income that we have going on. And this is why now we have this big gap between the ability to pay for that standard of living and we have to use debt. And this is why, to the point we are talking about a second ago, you've got surging levels of credit card debt. Now, you know, back to Mike Leibowitz here. Um, you know, this, you know, this, the, the important part about this, of course, and, and Mike, as you were talking about a second ago, is that when we take a look at retail sales and consumption, and that's 70% of the economy. I mean, so, you know, GDP is basically consumption. That's, that's what it is. You know, when we talk about business investment or import exports, those don't really move the needle on the GDP calculation that much relative to what happens with consumption. And the more that interest rates go, or the more that interest rates go up, um, which now we're going to be talking about with the Fed, and the more that inflation and prices rise, the less ability that consumers have to consume, which is that driver of the economy. Lance, there's also a psychological component to all this. Mm -hmm. People are getting deeper in debt. They're going to a restaurant now and it's a hundred bucks for something that's not that special anymore. And I think people are starting to pull back. Maybe we don't need to do this. Maybe we don't need to spend money on that. And I think we're also going to start seeing that effect because they just got a raise. They just got a nice raise, a five, six, seven percent raise, and they're already starting to fall behind again. And they don't feel like they can ask for another raise. Mm -hmm. And they just got a new job because they quit their old job and their new job is paying a little bit more. They can't go in a month into their job and ask for more money. So, you know, I think people did what they could. They got raises. They asked for raises. They got new jobs. And inflation just kept going, kept rising faster than most people wait, most people's wages. And then, you know, they see the price of gasoline. That's 80 bucks to fill up your tank, you know, gone. And it's not like you get much pleasure out of that $80 versus going to a restaurant or, you know, mm -hmm. certain consumables. So so there's a psychological aspect. I think that's what we're just starting to deal with now is that there are no more checks from the government. 
right? right. The, the wages aren't going to keep rising at, 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 at the rate they're rising. And even at the rate they're rising, they're not rising quick enough. So even if they rise at five and inflation's eight, they're falling behind. And I think people are starting to realize that. Now they have larger credit card debt, and it's gonna it's gonna be a drag on on consumption. And again, like you said, Lance, that's almost two thirds mm. of economic growth. So if you want to know why why we care so much about data like retail sales, like the University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Index, various consume you know how do we feel? How much are we spending? That's why economists spend so much time on the consumer, because all the other aspects like government spending is 10 to 15 percent. There's imports, exports. There's there's other aspects to it. But the big one, if you can get the big one right, you can most likely do a pretty good job predicting GDP. That's right. And that's consumption. Yep. And, and again, you know, when we take a look at and, and again, when we talk about consumption as part of GDP and, and to your point, Mike, we talk about personal consumption expenditures. That's the that's the component that we look at for that two thirds of the GDP calculation of personal consumption expenditures. Retail sales make up almost 40 percent of PCE. So retail sales, to your point, is a very important part of the entire GDP calculation because it is so inherently important. And that's what right. we're shopping for online, offline, you know, everywhere else. But this is, but you know, and 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 again, as we take a look going forward this year, this is where you know, and again, you and I are having this uh, kind of this you know back office bet over here about you know how long the Fed's going to hike rates before you know they cause a problem and have to start bailing out markets again. You know, I thought two interesting notes about this. One is J.P. Morgan reported earnings yesterday, huge loan loss revision uh, a reserve that they put on their books, that impacted earnings. You know, and this we talked about this before. Back during the financial, uh, during the 2020 pandemic, they had a big loan loss reserve set up, and then they really boosted earnings by basically putting that back into their earnings bucket. So even though their earnings weren't growing that much, it looked like they had huge earnings growth simply by reversing that loan loss provision. Uh, we're seeing them do it again, and we're not. It doesn't even seem like right now we're in trouble, and they're already preparing for potentially credit card defaults and and bad loans to come in. Yeah, I think that caught a, a few people by surprise. Mm -hmm. They took their, you know, they added, what was it, about 900 uh, million, million yeah. to their loan loss reserves. They're basically saying we're putting away a little money because we think defaults are going to rise here. And it's the prudent thing to do and hats off to J.P. Morgan. It came at the expense of their earnings per share. And the stock was down a little bit. And the stock has been trading poorly over the last uh, few months because I think the market is expecting more more of these type of reserve increases or actual losses. Uh, the other thing that the banks, you know, JP Morgan are dealing with is the yield curve. And the yield curve is very interesting. We've talked about this a lot. When we were on it two, three weeks ago, Lance, we were talking about the yield curve inverting so that the yield on shorter term bonds, like the two-year bond was higher than the yield on the 10-year bond. And that is kind of, the first inning of the recession signal. Right. The the next inning, the one to be more careful about is when it uninverts. So when the 10-year yield rises back above the two-year. And back in 2019, the curve inverted for about a cup of coffee for about 20 <laughs> seconds. And next thing you know, six months later or so, we were in a recession. Right. Now the pandemic caused that, so it's hard to know if we would have had a recession. But if you go back, 
you know, 40, 50 years, every time the curve inverted, so every time the yield on short bonds was higher than the yield on long bonds, and then uninverted, we went into a recession within, you know, six, nine months. Yeah, let me let me so, let me say something about that because that's a really, really important point that people need to understand because there's so many headlines right now. First of all, there's nothing to worry about. All the yield curves uninverted yesterday because of the move in bonds. Be careful with that, right? Because we are we are at the very early stages of an inversion, and the Fed hasn't started hiking rates. Normally, the inverted yield curve comes when the Fed is hiking rates and tightening their balance sheet, that type of thing. That's when normally you get the inversion. So we haven't even started that yet. That starts really kind of next month in earnest. Uh, so be careful with this uninversion here uh, in the short term because it's you know the headlines already started saying, well, the the yield curve is now not inverted anymore. So all worries are off. It's all fine. Go back in the market. Jim Cramer noting that we have now put in a very important bottom for the NASDAQ, be long growth stocks. So take that with, with what it is. But here's the point I want to make, and this is the, the really important point that, that Mike is saying here. The inversion of the yield curve is not what causes a recession, right? It's not the, oh, the yield curve inverted, now we have a recession. The inverted yield curve caused the recession. That's not what it's saying. And, you know, and what Mike's point was, he said, you know, would we have had a recession without the pandemic shutdown in March of 2020? The answer is yes. It may have been later on, but we were already, there's plenty of signs that were already occurring outside of the inversion of the yield curve that said we were potentially heading in, you know, towards a recession or an economic slowdown, you know, sometime in the course of 2020, 2021, at some point, we were going to get there anyway. The pandemic just, you know, sped it up a lot. But Importantly, whenever the yield curve is inverted historically, we never know what the cause of the recession is. It's not the, the yield curve that caused the recession. The yield curve inversion in 2007 didn't cause the Lehman bankruptcy in 2008. I mean, it's, you know, the, the Lehman bankruptcy is what shocked the economy and it, and it froze credit markets, and that's what led to the recession. What the inverted yield curve tells you is that there's the economy is ripe for a recession. It's it, it is weak enough that if there's an unexpected exogenous event that occurs, the economy and the structure of the economy and what's happening in the economy is not strong enough to withstand any type of big negative shock that occurs. And this goes all the way back through history. It's always after the fact we look back and go, oh, yeah, the inverted yield curve told us a recession was coming. But the cause of the recession is always something other than the yield curve, whether it's the dot-com crash or whether it's the 87-91 recession, whether it was the, the 1975 recessions, you know, those type of things. Always something, oil embargoes, et cetera. It's always a shock that trips up the economy and contracts it into a recession. Be right back after the break. We'll finish up with Michael Leibowitz. Don't go away.
Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. We're all impacted by the significance of the passage of time, especially when it comes to signing up for Medicare. When should you enroll? What's the best plan for you? How will the significant passage of time adversely affect your Medicare premiums? Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for our next virtual lunch and learn on Medicare, avoiding pitfalls and permanent penalties. Thursday, April 21st. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com for our next free lunch and learn to avoid the pitfalls and permanent penalties of Medicare. Realinvestmentadvice.com. Anyone can sell you insurance and they'll gladly take your premium dollars. The RIA Insurance Agency can provide you with insurance solutions tailor-made for your needs and lifestyle. Because everyone's assets are different, let RIA Insurance review what you need to protect and how. We won't sell you insurance, but what you need will be a matter of policy. RIA Insurance Agency. 888-915-0780. 888-915-0780. Realinvestmentadvice.com. Click on the insurance tab. What worries you about your money? Enhance your financial success with RIA Advisors' free financial planning tool, MyBlocks. It's our online modular manager for your money and your life. Does your vision of retirement match up to reality? MyBlocks can help to determine how much you'll need and how you can achieve. Create your own personal financial vision for the next decade with MyBlocks, our free tool at RIAAdvisors.com. Click on the Client Portal tab, RIAAdvisors.com. And now, another page from the Real Investment Advisors Investing Manifesto. Manage risk and volatility rather than trying to manage gains. You don't have to be right all the time. Long-term investing success is a 70% gain. Let us help you reach your financial goals with RIA Advisors. Neither bull nor bear. RIA Advisors. 281-501-1791 or online at realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. And welcome back. <clears throat> Getting ready to wrap up the show this morning with Michael Leibowitz. This morning, the uh, most uh, another big chunk of criminal enterprises report earnings this morning. PNC, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, Citigroup, State Street Bank, and of course the the kingpin of the criminal enterprises, Wells Fargo. Uh, also reporting this morning. So, you know, keep a watch out. The mafia is on parade today. Um, <laughs> Mike, welcome back to the show this morning. So, you know, thank you. So, talking a little bit about, you know, inflation here. Now, the, the big risk, well, go ahead. I was going to say, back to our conversation, there's something pretty important worth thinking about. When we were in this situation, so the yield curve inverted, economic growth is slowing, typically, and this was my article from yesterday, typically what would start happening is the Fed would have already had raised rates by half a percent, one percent, two percent, maybe three percent. And they were starting to talk about at this point in the cycle, you know what, we're probably getting close to the end of the rate hike cycle. We may end by July and then we'll see what maybe we'll lower rates. At the same time, the, the government would say, you know what, let's start thinking about a small fiscal stimulus bill to kind of revitalize the economy a little bit. Neither one of those is going to happen this time. Yeah. Right. That's 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 why this time is a little different than what we've seen in the past. The Fed with 8.6 percent inflation cannot start doing QE immediately and lowering rates. First of all, rates are only at point at a quarter of a percent. There's nowhere for them to lower. In the past, they were much higher and they did have room to lower 
to or at least to talk about lowering. Everyone will call their bluff right now if they talk about lowering rates. Right. And the government can is not going to get anything through Congress right now, at least until the next election regarding fiscal stimulus, mm. a meaningful fiscal stimulus. And then we get past November and there's a decent likelihood that the Republicans have at least one or two of the houses, if not both. And then it becomes much, much harder to get any kind of fiscal stimulus bill by. Well, so, now that's, so, that, now, having said that, and you're absolutely correct, it's going to be very difficult. Let's just assume, you know, the the outcome that Republicans take back the House and the Senate, right? Now you would say it's now impossible for, you know, anybody to pass stimulus at that point. But as soon as the economy gets into enough of, a, of, a, of an issue and we're now talking about a recession and job layoffs, Republicans will be passing checks to households and, again, just like everybody else. Of course. Yes. And, but I just, want to be, I just want to make sure that point is out there is that there is no difference between Republicans and Democrats anymore. It's simply a function of trying to keep their jobs. So as soon as something happens, everybody's a Democrat that day. And I agree 100 percent. But I think it's going to take more to get that spending. It's yeah. going to take more to get the Fed to go to action versus trying to slowly lean into it and what they call a soft landing. Yep. So a soft landing in central bank parlance means that <laughs> you were running three, four percent economic growth for a while, and that's a little too much. It's more than the economy can handle. So you're gonna tone it down, soft land it down at two percent. You're gonna run at two percent for a while and let everything kind of normalize, work itself out. The yeah. problem is the the plane doesn't have any landing gear and there's no more engine in the no more gas in the engine. So yeah, and, and the pilot is from airplane is the one that you blow up. So, you know, that's, that's the problem, you know, but, you know, this isn't it. But it's an interesting point you bring up. We're talking about two, you know, we, you know, three percent, four percent economic growth is too hot. Right. So now we got to get back to two percent prior to 2000, two percent economic growth was considered by the Federal Reserve and central banks to be what we call escape velocity. In other words, the economy had to grow at a rate faster than 2% just to replace the population growth in the labor market. So as people were coming into the labor uh, into the labor force, you know, through, you know, growing up and be, you know becoming of age to work or immigration, the it requires a growth rate of greater than two percent to absorb that population increase into the workforce you know we used to run at eight percent rates of economic growth back in the 70s we were running at six and you know five and six percent rates in 2000 in 1980s and 1990s we were running at four percent growth in early 2000 since then we just keep getting down now we're just hoping we can run at two percent and this is a function of all that debt overhang that we have in the economy. We just can't afford the economy to run at 3 and 4% growth, absorb population growth, create economic prosperity, because that brings interest rates up if you have 4% economic growth, and we can't afford it with the debt. That's the, 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 the big trap we've gotten ourselves into. And that's a huge thing, Lance, you're talking about, because for the last month or two, you've shown one chart after another of Treasury yields. And every time they hit this line that you mm -hmm. a lot of people would say randomly drew yields <laughs> fell back down. It's technical mumbo jumbo. Some exactly. People would say. Voodoo. It's not technical mumbo jumbo. The problem is every time rates increase, it weighs too heavily on the economy and causes the economy to slow down and then yields fall back down. So you can draw that line 
however you want. But the bottom line is that yields pop up to lower highs. They don't go as high as they did prior and they go down to lower lows. They go below where they were prior. And that's not because Lance is drawing his technical channels and his logarithmic scales and, <laughs> you know, all the all the you know, what what we would do on stocks looks like technical. You know, it's very technical. It's not. It, it's truly fundamentals behind it. And whether it hits that line, goes slightly above it, doesn't quite get to it. It's telling you the same story, that there's too much debt in the system, that it's becoming a bigger and bigger burden. And then we have the pandemic, where we just added another $6 trillion of debt in a year and a half mm -hmm. versus what would have taken five or six years. So you, speak, you make that line that, that we've drawn even sturdier, even mm -hmm. darker, you know, a thicker line, because as it goes through that line or approaches that line, the economic pain, economic pressure becomes more so than it was the last time we hit that line, even though that line was at a higher level. Right. And so, you know, real quick here, and we got to wrap up the show and we, you know, we keep, you know, saying we're going to get there. The Fed now starting to and now set to hike rates. Expectations are that they're going to hike rates by 50 basis points. Now, here's an interesting kind of side note. Just in the last few days, even with the interest, the, the inflation print we saw yesterday, the two-year Treasury rate declined here a bit. Now, there's a very there's a historical very close correlation between the two-year Treasury rate and the Fed funds rate, and the and the two-year Treasury rate leads the Fed funds, um, and it's basically what the two-year Treasury is telling you is where they expect the Fed funds to hike uh, the Fed to hike rates to. And it's interesting that we're starting to see the two-year Treasury begin to fall in terms of its rate, saying that, hey, you know, you know, we thought the Fed was going to hike to 3%. Now it maybe looks like it's only going to get to 2.5%. I suspect that as we get further down the road, that rate's going to come down even more as the realization, you know, comes to play that the economy's slowing down too quickly. There's too much pressure on the economy because of inflation, and the Fed isn't going to be able to hike rates nearly as much as they expect. And I think that's part of it. And, you know, the question comes back to inflation mm -hmm. it, where it becomes a little bit easier for inflation to level off here. But we just saw one point two percent inflation in a month, one month. Right. And when we go back and look a year ago, inflation was running point six percent, point seven percent. So if we keep running at one point two percent, we're going to see the annual rate of inflation keep increasing. Mm -hmm. It's it's scary enough if it stays flat, right? Prices right. went up 8.6% last year and they didn't go up last month. A lot of people say that's a great sign inflation is abating. It, what it really means is we're staying at very high levels, which is likely what's going to happen. And, and the bond market will cheer when that happens right. and yields will drop sharply. But it, there's a potential, especially when we start thinking about housing prices, rental prices, which are poorly captured, mm -hmm. right? Every measure of rent or house is up 20% year over year, and the CPI is up 4%. So it might be that, that you know, the way the, the, C, the BLS calculates it is what it is, and that's going to be the peak. It could also be that cap catches up, and that's about a third of CPI. And we may have a few more months mm. of inflation surprises to the upside, which forces the Fed to do what they keep talking about doing. And it's going to force the bond market to reevaluate what those very short term yields are doing. And probably if that were to happen, 
basically reinvert the curve. Right. Well, and, and you know, a couple of you know important factors here. You know, higher interest rates go both by the Fed and on the ten-year Treasury, thirty-year mortgages. We're already seeing housing prices come down in markets um, because people are simply getting priced out of them. And and again, we we talked about this on the show earlier this week. If if you can't afford the difference in a payment between a four percent rate and a five percent rate on a home, you can't afford the house to start with. Right. The you know, but as as consumers right we don't buy houses we can afford we buy houses because it's like oh i want this five hundred thousand dollar house because it's so cool um you know but i can't afford it unless you know interest rates are three percent five percent mortgage rates are still very cheap but even small incremental changes in those rates impact the buying the the buying ability by both price as well as psychology because a lot of people are used to interest rates being low, and they're like, okay, I'll just wait to buy my house because I'll just wait for rates to come back down again. And they'll be proved right eventually. So patience will win this game. But to your point, you know, we could certainly see higher prices here for, for a few more months that will potentially lure the Fed into hiking rates even more aggressively than they might have otherwise and really starting to cause a problem later on this year. And, and I think the, the risk of a Fed policy mistake is now – much higher than I think most people expect. Right, right. And it doesn't mean they won't make a mistake and they may have to make a mistake even if they know it. And yeah. that's this time is different. And I think that's the way you have to think about this. It's different than what we've seen for the last 40 years. All right, you got two seconds. Comments on Musk buying Twitter. What do you think? Hallelujah. <laughs> I'll open up the airways. Anyone can say what they want to say. Yeah. Interestingly enough, he's talking about taking it private and uh, you know getting it out of the public market. That'd be also very interesting as well. A private Twitter. All right. Have a great day. We're all impacted by the significance of the passage of time, especially when it comes to signing up for Medicare. When should you enroll? What's the best plan for you? How will the significant passage of time adversely affect your Medicare premiums? Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for our next Virtual Lunch and Learn on Medicare, avoiding pitfalls and permanent penalties, Thursday, April 21st. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com for our next free Lunch and Learn to avoid the pitfalls and permanent penalties of Medicare, realinvestmentadvice.com.